Welcome to Cinematicon Ex Mortis, the horror movie discussion podcast hosted by Kenny and Heather. So what we're talking about today is the sequel to the film we talked about last time. So we're doing Evil Dead 2. Some basic factoids about this motion picture. It was released in 1987, directed by Sam Raimi, who also co-wrote the screenplay with Scott Spiegel. (laughs) It again stars Bruce Campbell and features a musical score by Joseph Loduca. And I will now tell you what events happen in this film. The first seven minutes of this sequel to 1981's The Evil Dead replay a truncated version of the events of that film. Now, instead of five college students traveling to a cabin in the woods, only two, Ash Williams and his girlfriend Linda, are present. As in the last film, they discover an ancient text, now identified by an opening voiceover as the Necronomicon Ex Mortis, along with a tape recording of the archaeologist who discovered it, Professor Nobi, reading its demon resurrection passages aloud. When Ash plays the tape, unleashing the evil forces in the woods, Linda becomes possessed, and Ash decapitates and buries her. The evil force then attacks Ash, as in the final shot of the first film, but now the shot continues to reveal that he is lifted off the ground, rockets through the forest before smashing into a tree, and becomes briefly possessed himself, recovering when the evil force retreats due to the coming of daylight. Unfortunately, he comes to only to find that the bridge back to town has been destroyed and barely has time to make it back to the cabin before night falls and the evil returns. As Ash battles evil Linda and a host of other supernatural threats, including his own possessed hand, which he amputates with a chainsaw, Dr. Noby's daughter Annie and her boyfriend Ed head to the cabin. Along the way, they meet the hillbillies Jake and Bobby Joe, who show them a way around the destroyed bridge. Upon arriving at the cabin, they at first assume Ash has murdered their parents, but eventually team up with him to try to defeat the forces of evil. Whew, that was a long one. It is long. So, uh, what do you think about this as a a motion picture and as a sequel to the first Evil Dead film? Mm, It's not much of a sequel. You know, more it's like a, a remakequel. It's a reimagining of the first one. It's like, what if this happened instead of that? Mm, yeah. Um, which was interesting because you know, I, I rented it on Amazon and it was like, Ash once again returns to, and I'm like, no. <laughs> yeah, no. yeah. On the on the commentary track, uh, they talk about how some viewers have complained like why is why would he go back yeah there like again? why is he so stupid that he would go back and they think that's hilarious that people think like Ugh. he actually just like forgot <laughs> the events of the first film and yeah. and took an, a new girlfriend also named linda also named linda so he bought uh, the exact the same cabin. gift for and very similar things happened to it. no but did, that's not what happened yeah um there are some elements of the plot that to me indicate more continuity like like they're set up to have continuity with the first film for instance the fact that the new characters have to bring the pages from the book of the dead to the cabin Mm -hmm. as if the original book of the dead is not there which it was destroyed at the end of the first film so that kind of makes sense you know like and i think uh thinking back now to the commentary track and behind the scenes stuff that they were going to have uh, all five characters from the first film in the recap sequence at the beginning of this one, mm-hmm. but they ended up sort of paring it down just to get that sequence as, uh, as short as possible. And I think they also were going to just, you know, use like a montage of clips from the first film, but they didn't have the rights to it anymore for some reason. Okay. And then the same thing happened with Army of Darkness where they no longer had rights to use footage from it. So they just kept running into this kind of issue as they did these. So yeah, the, the the continuity between this and the first film is very shaky. I just wish I could be in the room with them when they were discussing like how they came up with that idea and they're like, let's like do it again, but like different. Like I just, I want to know what their thought process was on that and how they came to the decisions that they did and stuff like that. Yeah, um, I I know from watching the the behind-the-scenes stuff on Army of Darkness that uh, Sam really wanted to send Ash back to medieval times in the second film. 
but they didn't have the budget for it. Mm-hmm. So that ended up sort of hanging around as an idea. And they, they sort of set that up at the end of yeah. Evil Dead 2 and saved it for the third film. Uh, so in a way, the second is kind of like a placeholder middle chapter in the series in that you know they sort of knew where they wanted it to go. Uh, and in the meantime, here's some more stuff in the cabin. Mm-hmm. Okay. But, which is kind of funny, because for a lot of people, this is the best film in the series. And is, one of the great horror films. Is that what you think? Um, I love all three of them, so kind of choosing between them is like choosing between my children. Mm. Uh, but this is not my favorite. What about you? So... They're all your favorite, but this one's not your favorite. Uh, right, yeah. That doesn't make any sense. Um, so, <laughs> I think I, I don't know, in the way that I would order the three of them, mm-hmm. I think I'm in a, probably a tiny minority. Because so I think there are probably, there's a, I know there's a lot of people who say two is the best, and which is like a sort of perfect blend of comedy and horror. Then I think there are a lot of people who just dig the the cheesy action who really love Army of Darkness. And that's, I think, the most popular of the three, the most like mainstream accessible and so forth. So a lot of people love that one the most. I love the original film the most. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I like Army of Darkness second and Evil Dead 2 third. So in that way, and I think probably anybody, if there are, there's anybody else who likes the first one the most, they probably then would put Evil Dead 2 because it's the one that's most similar Mm -hmm. and then Army of Darkness, but I'm a weirdo. Yeah, you are a weirdo. I like 3, 2, 1. Yeah, that makes sense to me. So, because the the middle one is kind of, it's in the middle. Mm -hmm. It's it's tonally... The middle one is in the middle, very good. Yeah, no, I'm very smart. (laughs) Uh, You know, tonally, it's in the middle of the the trilogy as being a a blend of comedy and horror. and uh, so I guess we could talk about that. Like, how do you feel about the comedy in Evil Dead 2? I like it. I think it's a good blend of the first and the third one. It's a lot more ridiculous than the first one, but still miles away from being in just nonsense territory of Army of Darkness. Yeah. I, what I love about it is that, um, as with the first one, I think the comedy moments and horror mo- moments are not, there's nothing in between them. There's no, because usually when something's called a comedy horror, it's like there's a comedy scene and then there's a horror scene. In Evil Dead 2, it's the same scene. It's like the same thing will be scary at first and then it just keeps exactly going over the top mean. and it just gets ridiculous and mm-hmm. uh yeah so they're they're going for both at the same time and it doesn't seem like that should be possible because laughing and being scared seem like opposite almost emotional responses to something but they totally make it work mm-hmm. yeah there's a lot of like really small decisions that they made that are brilliant you know it's like things that are so subtle but it's like if they did something even just like microscopically different it would have completely fallen apart you know can you think of like no, an example don't make me do that <laughs> um yeah there there are a lot usually of usually it's a very physical thing you know it's like something they they chose to do physically or like a facial expression or you know something like that it's like if that wasn't there like the magic would be gone from it but they're so good at that you know yeah talking about our favorite comedy sequences i love everything with the evil hand crawling around um Mm -hmm. when he's shooting at it in the wall and then it gives him the finger that's so funny to me or i love i love when uh the hand is still connected to his arm and it uh knocks ash out and then it uh the hand sees that there's a butcher knife just out of reach and it starts kind of dragging his whole body over in order to get it. Uh, we get a point of view shot from the point of view of the hand 
dragging along the floor towards the mm-hmm. thing. And that is just such a funny concept to me. Like we're seeing what the hand is seeing, even though it doesn't have any eyes right. or anything. Like, uh, I love it. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's like, I don't know, there's a YouTube channel called Every Frame a Painting, or there was, they don't upload anymore, but they did these great film analyses, and uh, one of their great videos is about the sort of dearth of visual comedy in the movies, because uh, most of the mainstream comedies that come out, like Judd Apatow movies, are just all about comedy through dialogue Mm -hmm. and the film is shot in a very bland boring way with like even lighting and just shot reverse shot of a conversation between funny people and what they're saying is funny and you compare that to something like this or charlie chaplin or jackie chan or you know edgar wright and it's like the whole film is organized the shots the lighting everything makes it funny and it's just like it's on another level totally it's like, there's people who probably watch these movies and they're just like, this is the stupidest thing I've ever seen in my entire life. And they are completely lost on the brilliance of it, you know? Just like how how intricate these things are and how many layers there are. And I just think it's art, you know? Yeah. I mean, there's not a lot of layers of, like, subtext, right? And that's kind of what makes it funny, right? It's, like, it's yeah. kind of a so dumb it's funny kind of thing. Like I was saying with the hand. The idea that the hand yeah, has a perspective. Right. But then underneath how stupid it is, it's genius. Yeah. You know? Absolutely. So that's what I mean by layers. Yeah. And I, I love that kind of comedy in general. Like, I love Beavis and Butthead. Mm-hmm. I love a lot of, like... Mm-hmm so stupid it's funny oh i'm familiar Mm -hmm. so i definitely get what you're saying that like something that something that is funny because it's so dumb can actually be like the smartest thing yeah as opposed to a more like i don't know uh intellectual type of humor right um that might not actually be as smart because it's not as funny Mm -hmm. another thing i was thinking about evil dead 2 was this movie makes me, and Army of Darkness too, they make me think about a cool behind-the-scenes thing I saw on uh, the Mad Max Blu-ray. Do you know Mad Max at all? You mean the Mel Gibson movie? Yeah. No. Oh. Well, uh, on the Blu-ray, George Miller, the director, and Byron Kennedy, who was like the co-creator of it, um... They talk about their inspiration. So they're these like Australian guys who set out to make this movie. Mad Max actually has a lot in common with the original The Evil Dead. It was made in 1979 and it for very small budget, but they had this big ambitious idea of all these car chases in this post-apocalyptic world and they made it happen on this shoestring budget and uh, had a hit film. Um, But their inspiration was, you know, it's the late 70s, and they were watching movies like Jaws and Star Wars by uh, uh, filmmakers like Lucas and Spielberg. And movies like that, I think in the late 70s, were this huge sea change when it came to, like, uh, action cinema and, like, mainstream genre filmmaking in Hollywood and around the world. Uh, if you if you watch a movie like Jaws or like Star Wars and then you go back and watch earlier action movies, you're just like, oh my god, how do people watch these these older movies? Because um, they're so boring compared to the those great movies from the late 70s. Um, and so George Miller and Byron Kennedy were walking out of the theater after seeing, I don't remember what movie it was exactly, it might have been Jaws, and they were just saying to each other like, oh, do you remember that bit? Do you remember that bit? And uh, they sort of, as they were talking about it later, they realized, you know, most movies, uh, even a good movie, you come out and everybody is saying, you know, you remember that one part? And everybody has, there's this one iconic memorable moment in the film. And then the rest of it is like, people talking to each other in rooms or whatever you know it's like it's there to advance the plot and then there's like something really cool that happens in the end of the film uh whereas what what they, the way they saw it is that 
the the trick that Spielberg and Lucas had figured out was to just take those you remember that bit moments and just make an entire movie of nothing but that so every scene is something crazy and memorable and interesting uh, and I think that's a great description of a movie like Jaws or Star Wars you know like every scene you remember it it's got something crazy going on you got the they go right from shooting at the uh, stormtroopers they fall into the trash compactor and then there's like a weird alien in there and then they get out of that and then it's like one thing after another and it's like all so memorable and exciting and so they tried to do that with Mad Max and I think they they succeeded and I feel like the same way about Evil Dead 2 and Army of Darkness it's like there's so much creativity and there's always something happening and there's never just people sitting in a room talking about something like there's barely anybody talking about anything in this movie like it's kind of like the first film in that there's not a lot of dialogue um but it's just one insane thing happening after another yeah it sure is and uh i think it's great mm-hmm. me too it's definitely not my usual taste mm. in movies you know it's absolutely fucking disgusting Mm -hmm. (laughs) and they really go out of their way to make it as disgusting as possible like how can we think of new and creative ways to make this as disgusting as possible but they take it so over the top that it's hilarious so it's it's up in this level that most things can't reach but this does so you know yeah like most horror films and stuff if they're like that gross i'm just like like i'm just not you lost me you know what i mean like i can't really be engaged in this film anymore Mm. but because this is so ridiculous it's funny to me yeah no i i agree there is a kind of i mean i guess i don't know I, i i don't know if there's any level of gore that i don't appreciate on some level um but i can definitely see what you're saying I okay so I I have a pretty high tolerance for gore like I'm pretty okay but there's like I'm like good here 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 and then there's like this range here where I'm like no and then past there is just nonsense territory and it's all good yeah so yeah there is a a layer that I just can't deal with but it's kind of rare for me to run into it unless a movie is like trying to do it what would you say seem to be some of the main influences on Sam Raimi's comedy stylings? Oh, well, I already know they're obsessed obsessed with the Three Stooges. Yeah. Like, they're obsessed with the Three Stooges. They can't stop. Mm-hmm. So, I know that. Yeah, so, like, um, there's one sequence in Evil Dead 2 where uh, the monster is in the fruit cellar and it's trying to come up and so they start like jumping on the trap door to to push it down mm-hmm. and it ends up push compressing its head so much that its eyeball eyeball squirts out and flies across the room oh. and right into uh uh bobby joe's open pretty, mouth as uh, she's screaming mm-hmm. that's exactly a three stooges skit only with the three, three stooges it was a grape that flew out and went into somebody's mouth. Mm-hmm. So yeah, there are definitely some sequences here that are just like almost shot for shot, yeah. exactly a Three Stooges bit, but with gore. Mm-hmm. So that's definitely one. Mm-hmm. I feel like silent comedy is another one. Oh, totally. Like uh, the bit where uh, Ash's hand is possessed and it keeps breaking plates over his head and he like flips himself over. It's like obviously in fast motion. Uh, the film talk word that I learned for this is an <laughs> undercrank shot. Uh, I learned Sounded that in high very school. Official. Yeah, so undercrank because in the old days, how fast you crank the camera determines how many frames per second you're shooting at. So if you want to do a fast motion shot, you just crank it slower. And so then when you pay it, play it back at 24 frames per second, it'll be really fast. Um, so that's a fun fact for all of you listeners but uh anyway so it's like obviously sped up and that's just like a buster keaton you know or charlie chaplin 
thing and that whole routine is just like it, it, there's no dialogue it's just him doing all these pratfalls and all this crazy stuff so yeah there's definitely stuff like that in there yeah i definitely see that i also feel like there's a lot of cartoon uh influence like mm-hmm. i was talking how I, about how i love the the sort of duel between ash and his hand where he's like shooting at it through the wall and and it's that to me is a lot like um Tweety Bird versus Sylvester or uh, Wile E. Coyote versus the Roadrunner. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of like classic comedy things where the one is like trying to literally kill the other one, but the other one is like somehow not scared and is just like, <laughs> you know, like like laughing at him and, and yeah. flipping him. The, you know, they don't literally flip him off, but like this is the logical progression of that. Um, so, yeah, so it's like, it's another way in which Evil Dead 2 is really kind of stands on its own is that it's the marriage of this very dark material with this very childish, even puerile sense of humor mm-hmm. taken from physical comedy and cartoons and stuff like that. Do you like the front half of the movie better where Ash is alone in the cabin or the back half where it becomes more of an ensemble piece as the four other characters arrive? Hmm. Probably the alone part. I feel like it it just kind of got a little muddled when there's that many people and the plot is not its mm, strength. And then the more people you have, the more like plot heavy you have to be yeah you know i think i kind of i like the first part i might like the first part better but i love both parts and i feel like they they left ash alone for the perfect amount of time before it would have run out of steam mm-hmm. um and i i like uh roger ebert's review of evil dead 2 and he talks about it in those terms too as like a film that always seems like it's about to run out of steam but it never does it's like the perfect length where it's you know, you can only keep up these like high energy hijinks for so long before the audience becomes just exhausted. Totally, yeah. Um, and they manage to thread that needle, I think. Definitely. I mentioned last time that the Book of the Dead uh, is given the title in this film for the first time of Necronomicon Ex Mortis, and that's where our podcast title comes from. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've already apologized about the bad Latin of our title, uh, but now our listeners can understand fully that it is not my fault, but it is the screenwriters of Evil Dead 2 who are to blame, because it should be Ex Mortibus, because that's the proper ablative form of morse to go with x but um it's also just kind of funnily bad greek and latin because uh so necronomicon is like a greek word and it means literally they say it's necronomicon x mortis translates to book of the dead but really necronomicon translates to more like image of the law of the dead so like icon, like an icon on your computer is an image, and then nomos is law, and then necro is dead. And then ex mortis, ex is from or of, and then mortis is of the dead. So really, if you translated it literally, it would be like image of the law of the dead of of the dead. <laughs> so... Well, everyone just turned off this podcast. (laughs) Do you feel better now? I don't think, I mean, I think I've provided a useful service just now, and everyone will be grateful to me for saying that. Because now you know that it's kind of a silly thing. Yes. Now all of the burning questions that have been asked of us Hey, I have been answered. I burned with a longing to know the name, the mm-hmm. translation of the Book of the Dead mm-hmm. until I knew it. And now okay. I'm. Well, there you have the it. The fire is, is put out and I can live my life. And now you can sleep at night. So, last time we talked about the 
city versus country dynamic so commonly seen in horror films like Deliverance and the Texas Chainsaw Massacre and how that sort of appeared in The Evil Dead. Um, so how does that play out again in Evil Dead 2 now that we have sort of two sets of characters? We have like the more educated urban characters, Ash, Annie, and Ed, mm-hmm. and then the hillbillies, Jake and Bobby Joe. Yeah. Like, how is the film leading us to think about that potential conflict between the rural people and the urban people? I feel like the hillbillies and Ed were all stupid. (laughs) So, um... Yeah, I think it definitely leans into that stereotype. Like, Ash is probably somewhere in between those two, really. So... In, I would say, and this is looking ahead to our discussion of Army of Darkness, I would say in Army of Darkness, he's, he is. But here, mm-hmm. he's not yet someone who works at S-Mart. And I know, but store. he's not, like, on the level of the, like, scientist people. That's true. But he's he's a college student, yeah. So he's somewhere in the middle. Well, more, you know, not directly in the middle, but you know what I mean. I guess, but I mean, like, this is the thing that happens in horror films, right? Is like uh, college students, kids from the city come out into the countryside and then they get eaten alive by hillbillies. No, the hillbillies were a mess. Yeah. Here, though, they're not frightening, really. No, they're not scary. Just scary, stupid. And they're scared of Ash in the beginning, right? They mistake him Mm -hmm. for someone who's... Possessed. Yeah, who's sort of gone blood sick and killed everybody so i don't know i I guess i'm thinking about this because i just watched a movie called tucker and dale versus evil have you ever heard of it Mm, it sounds vaguely familiar i had it on my netflix queue it's one of those where it was sitting on there for so long that i forgot why i put it on is that the one they're always comparing to to the evil dead maybe i don't know There's, there's a title that people always say like oh if you like that then you should see blank and i feel like that might be it that's probably why it was on my netflix queue but to be honest when i got it from netflix i was like oh man i have to watch this it looked really stupid and uh i was like oh man what you know cast me why did you do this to me uh so i watched it more out of just obligation but it's actually great and Mm. um it's got alan tudyk in it as one of the main characters i know him yeah. He's hilarious. Yeah, he's great. And it's a it's a satire on these kind of films. The main characters, Tucker and Dale, are these two hillbillies, mm-hmm. um, and uh, some they're vacationing at a cabin in the woods, much like in Evil Dead, when some uh, city slicker college kids who are like just the kind of sort of ignorant buttholes that you would find in one of these movies <laughs> come to uh, you know their neck of the woods and are terrified of them because of a series of wacky coincidences where, you know, he's, like, chopping logs or whatever, and they see him with the axe or whatever. Uh-huh. And, and everything they see uh, con- uh, reinforces <laughs> their preconceived idea of these hillbillies as dangerous psychopaths. That's amazing. Yeah, and so the, the horror and the, you know, the whole complication of the plot, which I won't explain, um, just arises <laughs> out of this, this stereotype, which is totally untrue because Tucker and Dale are the sweetest guys. So it's it's a great I, I would encourage anybody to watch that one because it's really funny and, and well written. But um Jake and, and Bobby Joe are kind of they're kinda of good guys, but I mean he couldn't be that bad because she was like because they they charge them a hundred dollars to like follow them up the trail and she's like, Okay, but you have to carry my bags and he thought it was just this little bag and like the the pages from the book in the frame or whatever and he's like <laughs> okay and then like he really carries her giant trunk up the hill so i was like oh yeah that was nice i also think it's kind of neat how the pairs are so symmetrical mm-hmm. right like you've got ed and annie and then jake and bobby joe and um in both cases it's like the the woman is is the brains behind the operation mm-hmm. like bobby joe is the 
clever one who uh, he's Jake says, sure, I'll take it. 50 bucks. And then she like kicks him mm-hmm. and he goes, a hundred bucks, you know? <laughs> so it's like, she's, she's the one who's like a, a little slyer. Yeah. Um, so, and then Annie is like the, the scholarly student of her, her father. And Ed is just like kind of a dope. Yeah. Finally, we have a woman character who's not a complete useless wet blanket. Yeah, yeah. Annie is uh, almost the hero of... Almost. She almost made it. Yeah. Yeah, so she dies in the end. But there are moments where she becomes the protagonist, like when Ash becomes possessed and then she has to fend him off. Right. Yeah. So that was refreshing. She's got a great scream to her. Oh, my God. Okay, (laughs) so I was watching this movie last night really late. When, like, everyone else in my house is asleep, and I'm just thinking, there is so much screaming in this movie. There it is. If you're trying to watch this movie and be quiet, you're going to have a hard time. Because it's just 75% screaming. Yeah, and she has, like, kind of this nasally voice. She's like, ah! ah, ah. <laughs> yeah, there was, there was a lot of screaming. We also talked last time about the evil forces in the first film being aligned with nature or plants how does the sequel define the struggle between humanity and the natural and supernatural world i mean some similar stuff happened in this movie like with the sentient trees and vines and stuff like that yeah definitely and then when the evil like manifests in physical form at the very end, it's kind of like a giant tree-ish mm-hmm. thing with all these heads sprouting out of it, like yeah. buds out of a tree. It's hideous. Yeah, that thing's awesome. <laughs> I love it. And then he like sh- puts his chainsaw into the eye and all this gray goop comes out of it. Mm-hmm. I love that part. I'm sure you do. So yeah, I definitely think that it kind of builds on that aspect of the first movie. And what interests me uh also is the part where ash replaces his hand with a chainsaw Mm -hmm. now many people may just say that that's something that's just there in the movie to be groovy but i think that it's it's also kind of meaningful because it's a kind of union between man and technology to fight nature you know And, and he does like when he's like putting the chainsaw into the thing you know it's like, and a chainsaw is something that's used to cut down trees. Like, that's right. the point of it. Mm-hmm. So, I don't know. What do you think about that? Sounds good to me. So, yeah, I think that's something that maybe we could sort of see as a through line in the series. Is like, Ash is sort of, he sort of becomes something like a culture hero. Do you know what a culture hero is? No. And like, uh like cultural anthropology it's like a hero in myths that functions to kind of protect civilization against the forces of nature so like uh gilgamesh goes off and like fights this this giant um that's you know terrorizing the people or prometheus steals fire from the gods and gives it to humankind giving us like technology in a way to like survive in the hostile world and it's like stuff like that i feel like ash kind of becomes this this emblem of human civilization and our ability to take care of ourselves and stuff like that i don't know it's very deep oh yeah yeah do you buy it or sure sounds good gives a lot more like legitimacy to these films yeah i don't know if they really put that much thought into it but yeah probably not <laughs> i mean but they're kind of they're just building on tropes that are already there you know yeah. unconsciously or not mm-hmm. um but I, mean, I guess that's a good transition to talking about ash as a character does he seem like he's the same character from the first film how has he changed what kind of development do they give ash in this film what do you think i feel like this is the the film where ash becomes the ash we know and love like you can see this is where that 
comes in, he's like more funny now, a little bit more um, like physically funny, you know. Yeah, he he's has... got some more catchphrases now. This is where the the groovy thing comes from. Mm-hmm. You hear that the first time here. So he's the Ash that everyone is familiar with, I think. Yeah, that's a good point. At, by the end of the first film, he's sort of become a lot more competent than he was at the beginning of the first film. Mm-hmm. Like, he's no longer just a wuss. He's actually fighting back. Mm-hmm. But I think what maybe defines Ash, as at least as a, a character that we watch, like what makes him fun to watch, is that he's always sort of wildly swinging back and forth between being terrified and in pain and being uh like totally unjustifiably overconfident and like <laughs> laughing at his his enemies yeah. right like as soon as he gets the upper hand he's like you idiots you know uh-huh. and and he's like oh now you'll get you know so he has this like swagger to him as soon as he is you know uh has the upper hand for a moment and then he'll lose it again mm-hmm. and that i think definitely starts here totally yeah I like this Ash a lot better than Ash in the first one. I mean, obviously. And maybe that comes from the fact that he's, like, no longer, for the most part, like, killing his own friends, you know? Because... It's pretty, it's pretty rough. We get a little bit of that. We get um, possessed Linda at the beginning of the mm-hmm. film, which is some great stuff. Oh, boy. Um yeah it's it's we talked about this with the first film too but like there's stuff in this that doesn't look great but i would say i would say that all three of these films are more or less perfect films where in the same really in the same sense that any film is perfect in that every film has flaws every film has things that are not perfect that are not you know that you might want to go in and fix but they're they're not things that materially uh, damage the effect that it's going for. Mm-hmm. And in fact, I think in Evil Dead Two, a lot of the janky looking effects just make it funnier and yeah, better. Definitely. Like I'm thinking, what reminded me of this is is we were talking about him fighting possessed Linda, and I love the bit where he's got her her head in the vice grip thing in the shed. And um, he looks for the chainsaw, and there's like a chalk outline of where it should be, uh, but it's not there. And then we see uh, the the Linda's possessed body runs in and starts like trying to attack him with the chainsaw, and he has to fend it off. Mm-hmm. And it just looks so so goofy and so bad. Like it's obviously. Uh, like a marionette that's just somebody off off screen is like ramming into Bruce Campbell over and over. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's what makes it so funny. Right. It's like endearing. Yeah. It gives it character and it's silly, you know? And you, you just feel like you're having a good time with the people who made the movie. Definitely. It's like we're all just having a good time together, you know? Yeah. They intended it to look stupid. <laughs> it's, yeah. it's part of its charm. Yeah, and... But I think it's like the effects can look bad, and sometimes it's better for them to look bad. Mm-hmm. Um, Don't try too hard to make it look good. Just just lean into the bad. Yeah, but there's there are certain other elements of the filmmaking that are just rock solid, and those are what support it and make it so fun to watch. Things that you don't necessarily notice, but like if we're talking about that scene, like the sequence of shots, like very clearly communicates to us what is going on. We're never confused. And even at the expense of having it follow this like cartoon logic where there's a chalk outline where the saw should be. Um, but you know, that shot just instantly tells us uh-oh, where's the chainsaw, right? In a way that, you know, we understand that and then no sooner have we processed that when the the body barges in with the cha- with the chainsaw. And there's a lot of stuff like that where um, 
the I think the writing is actually really good, not in terms of the dialogue being amazing, but in terms of setups and payoffs and communicating things to the audience visually. I like as well um, the way that uh, Annie eventually dies. She gets stabbed in the back by the Kandarian dagger uh, held by the evil hand. Mm -hmm. And that's like a clever thing, right? Because they set up the hand at great length. And then what happened to it? It was holding Bobby Joe's hand in the dark. Mm -hmm. And then she flips out and runs out into the forest. And that's the last that we see of it. And we forget in the intervening scenes, we forget all about the hand. So it's a surprise when it comes back. But this is like the definition of like good writing, right? Is It's surprise, but then... Oh, yeah. You know, it was set up earlier. It's not some new monster mm -hmm. that just came out of nowhere. That's very true. So I guess that's most of what I wanted to say about Evil Dead 2. I guess we could end by saying, is there anything, like, that you're not a fan of in Evil Dead 2? Um. <laughs> Don't make fun of me. I feel like it's romantically a disaster. Mm. Well, he kind of... <laughs> there is a romance to this, right? Where he yeah. starts off with, with Linda. Um, and then it's kind of like in the first Evil Dead. It's his love for Linda that ultimately saves him because he sees uh -huh. the necklace and it makes him mm -hmm. transform back into a person. Mm -hmm. um, and then there's a brief moment where it seems like he's gonna mm -hmm. uh have feelings for annie mm -hmm. right before all hell breaks loose and then mm -hmm. she dies mm -hmm. so what what about that's, that is a disaster that's a that's a lot in yeah. a really short amount of time mm. i mean i sort of understand because there's like that shared trauma bond going on but it still is just just a little too quick. Like you were crying about Linda two seconds ago. Like, mm, I think we could have done without the the weird romantic chemistry between him and Annie. Hmm. Well, I kind of feel like it's almost part of his his transformation that he undergoes in this film from a more ordinary character in the first movie to this mythic heroic manly guy you know because he's like kind of a debonair like swashbuckling yeah i get it that's like it's... part of the macho heroic archetype is I having like a guess. new girlfriend in every movie like james bond or I indiana know, jones this was well i guess you're right yeah all right okay <laughs> that's just something i would change yeah well would you would you have i liked Linda annie get... more as a romantic interest but i don't i don't i don't know how to fix what they did there so <laughs> yeah yeah um yeah so maybe romance fans uh this isn't for you you could skip this one i mean i i make do with it and you know it's okay. As long as you know what you're getting into, like, don't get your hopes up. Don't be like, ooh, you know. But the next film we're going to talk about nope. is much more romantic. No, no um, really not. So let's uh, let's move right along to Army of Darkness. Mm -hmm. So today's is a twofer because uh, I don't actually consider Army of Darkness to be a horror film. That's something we can discuss in a moment. Uh, but uh, it's part of the sequence, the series, so we're going to talk about it, but it's going to have to share the episode slot with Evil Dead 2. So some basic facts about Army of Darkness. It was released in 1992. Uh, surprise, surprise, it was again directed by Sam Raimi uh, and co-written by Sam, this time with his brother Ivan. It stars Bruce Campbell and M. Beth Davids. And once again has a musical score by Joseph Loduca. So, plot summary time. Oh, I didn't say spoilers at the beginning. I think oh, shit. I think it'll be okay. It's fine. 
Okay, Trust maybe I can me. say spoiler alert now and then retroactively edit it into the earlier, like George Lucas adding McClunky into Yay. the Han Solo shootout with Greedo. <laughs> like it'll just like awkwardly have like a record scratch let's thing and say, spoiler let's, alert. Let's don't. Okay, well, you know now, listeners, that you shouldn't have listened to the earlier <laughs> part of the episode. And don't listen to this either if you haven't seen Army of Darkness. I'm no one would fucking do that. Well, I'm just, just covering my bases. Happen. Just want to be sure. Plus, you can put it in the show notes and you can put it in your post about it. And Yeah. Okay. Once again, the picture begins with a brief recap of the previous films that also drastically compresses their plots. As in the end of Evil Dead 2, Ash finds himself transported to the Middle Ages. Rather than immediately being hailed as a savior, though, he is initially mistaken for a member of an opposing army, one of Duke Henry's men, and taken prisoner by a rival lord named Arthur. At Arthur's castle, Ash is thrown into a pit full of murderous deadites, as those possessed by demonic forces are known, but defeats them and escapes with the help of his trusty chainsaw arm and shotgun. Overawed, Arthur and the other primitive screwheads agree to help Ash get back to his own time. To do this, though, he must go on a heroic quest to retrieve the Necronomicon from the forces of evil. Let's hope he remembers to say every single syllable of a magical incantation when he does so, lest he awaken an army of darkness and have to spend the remainder of the film helping Arthur defend his castle from a horde of undead led by a doppelganger named Evil Ash. Mm -hmm. I think I... So I said shotgun. It's not really, is it? It's a rifle. The, oh, I, yeah. I, I did learn in my podcast that the two things are not the same. No, a shotgun is not a rifle. my mind. Yeah, so I mentioned that I don't consider this one a horror film. Do you consider this to be a horror film? No, I don't. Why not? It's not scary. It doesn't even seem like it's trying to be scary. Yeah, that's There's my... There's not a whole lot of horror aspects to it. It's a comedy. It's, like, very much a comedy. I think people who are, like, super-duper sensitive to anything horror-related won't like it, but you'd have to be really sensitive. Yeah. I think. Yeah, I agree. My definition of horror is, is based on the intention of the filmmakers. Like, are they trying to really scare the pants off of the audience? Mm -hmm. And I really don't think they were no. with this one. I think they were just having fun with this one. It's in this, It's got the same themes, but it's not... It's wildly different than one and two. Yeah. To me, the scariest part is when he's down in the pit and then the monster, like, jumps out. There's, like, kind of a... It's hidden. It's yeah. camouflaged with the wall. I think I screamed. Yeah. And I've seen this a hundred times. <laughs> so that part is a little bit scary. But, yeah, for the most part, the monsters here are just funny. Mm -hmm. um, and I would consider it, like, an action comedy. Mm. And one of the best... Um, I it's, really like this one. It's got a, it's very like Princess Bride-esque where it has like everything, you mm. know? Yeah, I can see that. Yeah, just not as wholesome. Uh, yeah. It doesn't have the, it doesn't have really a lot of family values, I would say. No, definitely. Don't watch this movie with your mom, probably. <laughs> Unless your mom's really cool. Unless your mom's really cool. Uh, so what's your favorite aspect of Army of Darkness? My favorite aspect? Yeah. The comedy. It's hilarious. And it's still hilarious after seeing it a hundred times. Definitely. I agree. It's, uh, it, yeah, it's one of those where you can rewatch it a lot. Oh my god, yeah. And if you're having a bad day... You're going to feel better after you watch this movie. It's just, it's, I mean, I understand that it's probably not this way for everyone, but for people like us, it's just sunshine. It's just like gold. It's the best. Yeah, it's the, it's the funnest one. Um, I would agree with that. We haven't talked at all about the music. Um, I know. Which the, all three I films share the same composer. I because... You always talk about the music. No, I just suck. Oh, okay. Uh, well, I love the music. Yeah, I it's think... perfect. Yeah, it's great. And I think Army of Darkness has the best 
soundtrack. I did notice that. It it almost has it's got that like epic Star Wars Lord of the Rings type, you know, where it's so intense and it just adds this whole other layer to the adventure, you know, of the film. Yeah, I guess that's another big tell that this isn't a horror film, uh, is that the music is much more of a heroic action mm-hmm. movie, like a, like a classic action movie kind of vibe, um, which goes along with a lot of the influences for this one, like uh, Jason and the Argonauts is mm-hmm. obviously an influence mm-hmm. with the um, stop-motion skeleton mm-hmm. sword fighting going on. How would we describe Ash's development as a character between two and three and over the course of three. Is he pretty much the same character as in two or what? What do you think? Um, he seems to be a lot more confident in three. He's got a bunch of skills we haven't seen before. Um, He's apparently some kind of genius because he was able to create his own mechanical hand. Yeah. So, and he's like a really good shot and he's can like do all these flips and stuff. And, you know, he's kind of this all around badass. And there's, he seems pretty selfish at first, but then he has a change of heart and wants to stay and help everybody. So I guess he has growth as a character, like as a person, like do the right thing kind of thing. So there's that. Yeah, definitely. I th- I feel like he is, a, he is quite different here. He's, he's become even more of a cartoon than mm-hmm. he was in, in Evil Dead mm-hmm. 2. Uh, where he's comically overconfident. Mm -hmm. But yeah, like you said, he also is extremely skilled. He is, I would say he's definitely like a send-up of a uh, comic booky hero figure, like an action movie hero. Totally. Um, Somebody that might be played by Arnold Schwarzenegger in the 80s or by Errol Flynn in the golden age of Hollywood. That's a good reference. Very nice. Um, and yeah, I, that, that makes sense to me. Yeah, I, it is pretty funny how like he's able to develop these futuristic uh, technologies like the robotic hand mm-hmm. back in the Middle Ages. All by himself. Yeah. Um, just because he has a, I guess he has a chemistry textbook in the, the trunk of his car. Mm -hmm. So that explains it. But it is kind of, I think it's part of the fantasy of going back to the middle ages. Um, like, I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but like, do you ever think about like, if you could go back in time, like, wouldn't it be fun to kind of seem like you're a wizard to the people back then with just having your iPod or whatever that's your iPhone. not typically like what I focus on when I imagine going back in time what would you do mm, I don't know try to stay as clean as possible <laughs> well that's, I guess that's where I was going is like there's the other side where like if you think about it just more than five uh-huh. seconds yeah. it would actually would be suck. horrible because mm-hmm. Where's my toothpaste? Yeah. Where's no, my no deodorant? Where's... Well, and, our, and you know, our clothes are, like, useless compared to the clothes they used to have. Yeah, they're, like, made of, like, burlap. <laughs> yeah, they had clothes that would, like, last forever. And our clothes like just wear out leather. constantly, so we have to keep buying more. And that goes for everything. You know, none of our technology would last more than a few weeks without any of the support structure that we have. Totally. Um, yeah, we, we'd be fucked. Yeah, if you had a car, it would run out of gas, and then no more gas. And you'd have to, like, kill and eat your own food, and, you know, I wouldn't be able to do that, so I would starve to death and die. It wouldn't go well. Well, people didn't always have to kill and eat their own food back then, but you'd need to pay money that you don't have to... I'd have to be a prostitute. I wouldn't have any other skills. (laughs) Yeah. Just cut that out. (laughs) (laughs) Or, you know, you'd just instantly be... Uh, taken to be a witch and 
burned at the stake or something. Or that. You know? like, Honestly, that would be which the Which is pretty much what happens to Ash at the beginning of this. The most humane thing that could possibly happen to me. But yeah, it's, it is kind of fun to think about, like, you know, how could I parlay my knowledge of future stuff into some kind of good outcome for me in the past? And I think Army of Darkness is kind of like the silliest, most over-the-top version of that fantasy. Yep, definitely. It's pretty ridiculous. Did you feel like uh, Army of Darkness, you notice any, like, uh, films or other stuff that was influential on this picture in particular or things that were influenced by it? Well, you told me something that blew my mind while we were watching it. Do you want to talk about that? Uh, sure. So, I, I guess I'll start with, so, the climax of the film, as I hinted oh so subtly in my plot summary, involves Ash having to defend a castle against an army of undead. And I definitely think that whole scenario is based on a number of earlier films, uh, like uh, Seven Samurai, that means Magnificent Seven, Zulu, and uh, so stories where a small number of defenders, like in the Alamo, have to fend off a giant army of, of invaders that are besieging it. So there's there's already kind of like a cinematic language for that kind of thing, and I think this is a, a parody and a, and a hilarious send-up of that kind of, of action movie uh, uh, scenario. Uh, but then I think Peter Jackson was heavily influenced by Army of Darkness when he made uh, The Two Towers, the second Lord of the Rings film. So uh, there's that film ends with another situation where you know vastly outnumbered group of heroic characters have to defend against the army of evil monsters besieging the castle. And there's stuff in in uh, in that part of the movie that's like exactly what happens in Army of Darkness. Like um, the bad guy Saruman is up in his castle with uh, his lackey Wormtongue and he gives him a little pouch of like gunpowder to hold and Wormtongue stupidly holds it right <laughs> over a fire because he doesn't know what gunpowder is and Saruman's like, oh, and like pushes it away from the fire. Um, wordlessly warning him not to do that. And that's the exact same thing that happens here with uh, Bruce Campbell, who has invented gunpowder in order to <laughs> put on the mm -hmm. end of the arrows that they're going to fire at the monsters. And the, uh, you know, primitive screwhead who's standing by who does the same thing Wormtongue does. So there's definitely, like, deliberate homages there, I think. I had no idea. Oh, another one I think definitely was influential here, and uh, this is returning to the Mad Max series. The second Mad Max film, The Road Warrior, uh, also features a group of defenders who have to ward off a bunch of people who besiege the, the city. Have you ever seen that one? No. Oh, it's great. Um, and uh, that is, is, is really similar because Max is not from that town and he comes in as like a mercenary and he he like has a deal where he's saved one of the guys from the bad guys and he says well if you bring me back to my town safely then you can have all the gas you want so that you can just go wherever you want to go max is this lone wanderer in the wasteland and so he brings him back and then they're like oh great you're here to like help us fight against these bad guys and he's mm. like no 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 I, I want the deal i just want the gas i want to go and you know then they make him feel bad about it and there's like a little kid and then he ends up like teaching them and helping them to fight against the bad guys so it's like the exact same story as mm. as army of darkness like the second half of army of darkness got it so anyway so i think you know, I mean, Mad Max is is already like three quarters of the way to the kind of parody that Army of Darkness offers of that scenario because Max is already an anti-hero who doesn't want to save the day. Mm -hmm. um, but it just, it goes that much, it goes further with that, you know, making him even more ridiculous uh, 
because Max is not, we're not laughing at Max. Like he's like the cool badass guy who just doesn't care. Whereas uh, Ash's way of refusing to help is like, Ooh, you know, I got other stuff to do. Like he's like more of like a, a wimp about it. Yeah. That's funny. Okay. So I guess we can end today's episode by talking about the different endings of the trilogy. So originally, uh, they had shot the film and put it together with one ending, and the studio didn't like it, so they made Sam go back and shoot a different ending, and that's the theatrical version. The Blu-ray that I have nicely has four different versions of the film. It has the theatrical version, a director's cut, an international cut, and a TV cut. I've only seen the director's cut and the theatrical cut. I think the other two, the other two are like in between those two in terms of runtime. Mm -hmm. So I'm guessing that they're just variations on this scene is there in this one and it's right. not in that one. So it's it's probably, you know, not essential to watch those ones, I hope. Totally. But um, anyway, so the original ending has Ash uh, being told by the resident wizard that he in order to go back to his own time, he needs to uh, uh, drink exactly a certain number, I think seven drops of a magic potion uh, in a cave where he's caused a cave in and so no one will disturb him. So he'll be Rip Van Winkle and, and sleep for the right number of thousands of years in order to, or hundreds of years, in order to uh, wake up in his own time. And Ash does everything but then when he gets into the cave and he's dropping the eyedropper into his mouth he's like one two three and then he hears like a crumbling of more rocks caving in and he gets distracted and then he starts three four five so he does three twice and then he falls asleep and we get this neat little montage like in the time machine of, of you know him quickly aging with a beard growing and spider webs growing over him and cool stuff like that and he wakes up and comes out of the cave to discover that the world has been destroyed it looks like a there's there's the ruins of a futuristic society all around him and he says i've slept too long mm -hmm. so that's the original ending they thought it was too depressing, so they it made him reshoot it, where uh, we see that he is working back at S-Mart, and <laughs> uh, he has again failed to heed the, the advice of the wizard uh, by not saying all the words exactly right, and so as a result, uh, it seems like deadites have come to the mm. present time, and they attack the store where he is, and then... He uh, smooches some random lady who's there that Heather recognizes from a different show or something. What was it? The Wedding Singer. The Wedding Singer. And so that's that's the end. So that doesn't seem like a super happy ending, but it's framed as like he is still the hero even though he's working back at S-Mart. He seems happy yeah. about it. Yeah, it's like, it's like he... This, this is just his life yeah, now it's like and this he's is just accepted. his destiny yeah he's ex kind of accepted because he I, says hail to the king baby right, so it's like he, he's accepted that he's, he's a sort of kingly figure yeah and this is just like he acts like he's needed here in this time he's needed here at s-mart like s-mart needs me i guess he just feels some sort of duty to working there and living that life and mediocrity <laughs> yeah which i think is is in its in its own way is a is a kind of a great ending to the series right because the series has been about this like series of unfortunate events happening to this luckless guy who just over and over is assailed by the forces of evil yep. and barely survives and then it the film ends always with the last you know something else terrible happening to him and so the conclusion maybe is that, yeah, it's going to keep happening, but he's he's sort of grown into the hero of time or whatever. And so he's, he's like, 
Well, and all, his his work, the little we see of his work at Smart, he's just like stamping one box after another. So it seems like it's a boring ass mm-hmm. m- menial job, and so he's it's a kind of liberation for him to you know go from uh, nobody to being the the great hero. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of neat. So I know you like that ending more. Mm-hmm. Um, what what don't you like about the original ending? It's depressing as fuck. I mean, what do you mean? You know that's a stupid question. Hmm. I don't know what you like about it other than that you're deranged. I, I like... Um, I, I like the thing where he's putting the eyedropper... I mean, drops yes, into his that mouth. part like, is funny. That's funny, and it's cleverer than just re- redoing the Klaatu Barata Nikto bit uh-huh. where, oh, he forgot the words again, which right. is like, would he really forget them again? I guess, I guess that is kind of funny yeah. that he would forget a second time. But but it's better to have a new bit that's also funny than to just, you know, reference the, you know, have a callback to an earlier gag. I like that better, and... Um, it's something equally as stupid, but new and different. Yeah, and I like that it sets up a cool thing for a sequel, which now that we know that the sequel isn't going to come, I guess it's it's whatever, but I, I like the idea about... of Ash being in a futuristic world. I never thought about that. I just pictured him wandering around until he died, like alone and sad. Well, no, of course he's going to find other survivors and the deadites I are going to be there too. I never and... thought about other survivors. I just thought everyone was dead. Yeah. And there was nothing, and he would just be sad and alone, and then die. Because there's probably no food or anything. So. Yeah. That's why I was so sad about it. So, any other, any last thoughts about Army of Darkness? No. Um, it's a great movie. I love it. It never gets old. Yeah, check it out if you haven't. I don't know what the fuck you're doing here if you haven't seen it before. Well, people just love our podcast so much. You're right. That's it. There's a lot of people that just can't help themselves. Even when they hear the spoiler warning, they're like, <laughs> well, what am I going to do? Wait two hours to hear the rest of this podcast? Like, I can't do that. That's exactly it. So we apologize to all of you who are, have themselves spoiled just through the intensity of their love for our podcast. Uh, speaking of our podcast, uh, next time we'll be covering uh, the final elements of the Evil Dead franchise, uh, the remake from 2013 of uh, oh, the original no, film. I have to watch that. Yes, you do. And the television show, uh, Ash vs. Evil Dead. So you'll have to watch, you've seen most of it, but you'll have to watch the last few episodes. I have to watch the last two. Yep. So, what across the bear? Um, we will uh, see you then. Goodbye.